Hello, welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Rodina Osban, here with my friend Chabrita and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Bita, daf Lamedalad, page 34. Well, we are certainly about to wrap up our study of Masachat Bita. Please register for our CM, which will, God willing, be in a little less than a week. Uh, let us know if you would like to share some words of Torah uh, about your thoughts of this Masachat. And with that, we will get straight to uh, the daf itself. So again, this daf sort of has a series of different halachot of things that one can or cannot do um, on Yom Tov itself, uh, from anything from heating this type of roof tile um, to a whole thing of interesting mission from Hulin uh, about a bird that maybe was injured and are you allowed to slaughter it 24 hours later uh, if it didn't die and, and this whole issue of checking something uh, for being a trefa. But I want to read a little section that's right before our Mishnah, uh, which reads as uh, which reads as follows. So there's a Tosefta here that teaches that during Yom Tov, one is allowed to scald the head and the feet, basically of a slaughtered animal, with the purpose of basically removing the hairs from the animal itself. So this was something you would do to clean the animal. But you can't smear it. Oh, uh, sorry, you can also singe it in a fire, but you can't smear it with clay, below adama, below seed, or with earth or with lime. In other words, that's not a way that you're allowed to remove the hairs because that may take more effort than what we would allow in a yom tov. The aim goes zinotambamisparan. You certainly can't cut the hairs off with a scissor because that really looks like weekday malacha. The aim goes zinotayarak, but you also can t- trim the top of leaves that are connected to some types of vegetables with also a special type of shear. Really need to be cooked for a very, very long time, so they, they do take more care. Um, you're allowed to light a fire and bake in a large baker's oven. That's what a pornier is. Or you can heat water in antichi, which is a large type of urn. So in other words, it's allowing you to use specialized types of special oven or special urn that heats things. But you cannot bake in a baker's oven uh, in case it would break because if the oven... If uh, sometimes ovens would crack when they were heated, if they weren't made, and then you know that's something that we would maybe you'd fix it or or it would be like unnecessary work. So I, what I was struck by here is, and this is something I'm thinking about a lot these last few days, is you know we just think about like oh great I can cook on Yom Tov. It was so much effort to prepare food in a way that I really I mean I know it, but I never really considered. And I think, therefore, that's what I'm struggling with with Masachat Beitza, is that a lot of the, you know, malacha that involves with food is just simply we don't have to do. Like, for us, it's really just like turning on fire. Where do you get your source of heat from? And heating up water. What can you heat up? What can't you heat up? And things like that. But all of this of, like, actually preparing the animal or how do you cut vegetables or things like that, it's just not really how we prepare food today. Um, and, 
you know, I, I, I just was struck by how labor intensive. And again, I think if I did in the case of the Mishnah and Gemara, I don't think it would feel pretty yentive dick to me. I mean, I imagine, you know, the flip side of of course, is that it was still making a difference, right? So that all of that consciousness, all of that awareness of making sure that you're doing it this little bit differently so that it's not the whole way of doing things surely made people feel yantiftic. But it, I agree with you that it doesn't feel yantiftic as compared to what we think of as now, right? I, how many people, I think you're, Dana, you're, th- you're one of these people, how many people don't want to cook on yantif because they don't want to be stuck in the kitchen, they want to be enjoying right. I'm yantif. not a yantif cooker. I do my cooking before, so I think that's ac- that's interesting. Um, right. And I think you're making an important point, which is also to keep in mind what they are permitting is sort of the lesser non-work version of whatever that is that work is supposed to be. It's like that's allowed because it's not considered to be too labor intensive. But for me, it sounds really labor intensive. Right. I get that. OK, I'm going to go. I'm going to continue along with the Mishnah here. The Mishnah takes us into a, a bit of a different topic. I mean, you know, relatively speaking. V'od, Amar Lazar. So what happens? Rebbe Lezer said, you know, he continued to say, right? There's This is a continuation, as it were, of the previous Mishnah. So Rebbe Lezer says, this is, and this is statement is a, is a kula, uh, a lenient position, that a person can stand over object, he can stand over the things that are in storage, let's say, that they're set aside, Right? It's a, something that he has, he set it aside from not, if he's not using it, you know, otherwise. Now he can do this when it is Erev Shabbat during Shemitah. Meaning, there's, it's not going to be a time of taking tithes. It's not going to be a time of taking Trumata Maestro because it's a Shemitah year, right? So then you don't, have, so then when you take that fruit, whatever you're going to eat there, there's nothing to do to, to fix it, to make it the, you know, kosher, so to speak, to have the tithes removed from it so that you could then eat it, right? And you could then say, here, I'm going to eat from these fruits tomorrow, meaning he's got these fruits set aside from before. Now he can come, Arab Shabbos, during the Shemitah year and say, I'm taking my food from tomorrow. My fruits from tomorrow will be from this, you know, uh, storage. But the sages, the the majority group says he can only eat uh like from if he demarcates from this point to that point meaning you know this was the fruit from this day and this is the fruit from that day and until between those two points let's say that's what we'll take for tomorrow uh, it's a it's a narrowing of the statement of Rebelezer that was you know a much more sweeping kind of thing about all of everything that's in that storage now we again have a gemara that relates to this Mishnah, but without speaking about it directly. And then the Gemara will connect them. Tanan Hatam. So there's a, we learn in the Mishnah, um, children who hide figs. Now why they're doing this, I don't know. I imagine it's a game, right? On Erev Shabbos, they hide their figs in the field. On Erev Shabbat, v'shachachu v'lo isru. So their expectations that they're going to eat them on Shabbos, but because they did not, because they hid them, they forgot that they were supposed to take Truman and Maestro, meaning this mission is not talking about a Shemitah year. So then even when it comes to Saturday night, 
right? They still cannot eat until they've taken the the tides. They have to take trimetamisot to be able to eat altogether, right? So what does that mean? It means they can't eat it on Shabbat because Shabbat, this is food that would be required. To, it's not It's not a suffix. It's not a question of whether you've tithed. There's no room for a leniency. You know that there was no no trimetamisot taken. So then, of course, after Shabbat, they would still have to do this tithing. So this might be a little more connected to somebody who's, you know, got a storage uh, center of whatever kinds of produce. So the mission goes on to say one who transfers figs from his courtyard, you know, he's going to make dry figs. And then the children and everybody else in the house, right? They can just like nosh, take a little snack of figs as they go, because at that point, they're exempt from trimetamisro, meaning from the fact that the fruit went from the field, the trees, right, to the courtyard, to the chatzer, it hasn't gone into the house. So that's where he's drawing them out, out in the courtyard, then it's not yet considered brought into the house for the obligation of tithing. So let's take this back a step, right? If you're, I don't know, out in the field, and you have the rights, meaning the, the owner of the field says, yeah, sure, have whatever you want, right? So it's not a question of stealing. You don't have to take Truman and from when you're eating the fruit at the location of the tree. And this Gemara makes it clear that the location of the tree, meaning out there in the sadeh, out there in the field or in the orchard or whatever, does, is still in effect, so to speak, even, according to this opinion, even when you come to your courtyard, but not when you go into your house. Once you go into your house, you know, that is exactly the moment that the obligation for Truman Maestro kicks in. So the Gemara then goes on. And this is where I think it gets, you know, even more interesting, in, certainly in terms of the structure of the Gemara. By my name, Rav Rav Nachman. So Rav S. Rav Nachman, is, and it's coming off of both the mission that we have and the Gemara's citation of the other mission. Um, Shabbat Maushitigba Muksalamaser, the Maser, but So the question is, the question is, um, you know, what happens? What's halacha? Whether you need to take Truman Maestro for something that was Muksa and Shabbat, meaning something was set aside in such a way that you're not supposed to handle it, and but you're but then you still have an obligation to take Truman Maestro. So let's say, for example, something where the the phenomenon of it, the fact of it, has not been completed. You haven't completed the work that you're going to do with regard to this item, right? So then, does the fact that that same food is muksa, you know, does it count? You've set it aside. Does that count as preparation or not? And then, this is kind of lovely, the Gemara here says, Mi amrinan, you know, do we say that since the verse in it's a verse, citation from Yeshayahu, uh, chapter 58, from calling Shabbat a delight, does that mean that you've established it, you know, as your food, that you, as if you brought it into your house, now you have to take so by the same token, right, if we have something that the labor is not completed, or do we say that, you know, Shabbat, in fact, establishes any such food to be something that is that you have 
that it has been completed, and therefore the implication is something that was not completed does not establish the requirement to take Truman of Maestrat. I mean, this whole question of kava or lo kava, is it is it established? It means that, you know, at what point do you, do you have an, the, does the obligation to take Truman of Maestrat, at what point does it kick in? And the this Gemara, or really Rav asking Rav Nachman, is asking this question based on the Muxa discussion that's in the Mishnah and the, the discussion in the Gemara or that's cited from the mission of the Gemara that goes back to say, you know, you've come from the field and you don't yet incur the obligation to take true mud and maestro. So he puts it all together in, I think, what is actually a real, rather sophisticated way. And now we've got Rav Nachman's answer. And then we'll stop for the day. Obviously, of course, the Gemara goes on a bit. Amar lei, Shabbat kovad ben ben So Rav Nachman answers and says, it doesn't matter whether you've done, whether you've completed your work, because Shabbat itself establishes the fact that you have to take Truman Maestro, meaning assuming you're in a year that is not a Shemitah year, right? Either way, the moment you hit Shabbat, that's when you would have the obligation for the for the Truman Maestro to be taken. So then, of course, you have to do it in advance of Shabbat because you're not allowed to take it on Shabbat. So then Rava says, Amar Le'eima Shabbat dumi dechatzer so Rava is building on this whole discussion. And he says, well, one second, if you're going to say that Shabbat is establishes the obligation for Truman and Maestrot, then maybe that should be, maybe Shabbat itself is like the chatzer, like the courtyard. Meaning, yes, it establishes that the food in the chatzer needs Truman and Maestrot, but only in the case of nigmar melachto, because if you're still going to do something extra to that food, like you know dry the figs, then you don't have a, a complete food ready and waiting for the tithes. It's not obligated. You're not obligated in the tithes yet. So Rav Nachman, you know, isn't quite as as firm in this as Rav's suggestion. Amarle limud aruch aruchu biadenu. So Rav Nachman answers Rava. He says, I'm not telling you based on the way I'm thinking about it. You know, I have logic and you have logic and we can compare notes and see whose logic works, you know, is stronger, will be upheld. No, he says we have, um, um, sorry, Limud, there we go. Limud Aruch Hu Biadenu. We have, it means a teaching a learning, the point here is, of course, that it's a tradition. It's a Masorah that, you know, going back generations, that Shabbat establishes that there's an obligation to take Truman and Maestrot, whether the Nigmar Malachto, whether the fruit is, in fact, ready to be eaten or not. Either way, once you hit Shabbat, you're obligated in Truman and Maestrot. And it wasn't a matter of logic. It's a matter of Masorah. So sorry, Rava, you can't argue on this. Yeah, it's a, an interesting argument that he presents. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that we're starting to see with all these halachot of Shabbat and Yom Tov is like sort of that Misora piece to it as well. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, it, there's like a, like, yes, there's the halacha of how it's learned and what cases are okay and not okay and the details, but then there's also this Misora piece too. 
I'm struck by the comparison, I feel like, to, in the modern era, where people would say, you know, but flipping a light switch is not malacha, right? I mean, there's a certain amount of subjectivity that we would say, but that's not so much work. That's much more work. That's okay. That's not okay, right? Meaning, I'm not saying this clearly enough, right? The idea that certain things are considered too labor-intensive to be okay for yuntif, but something else is considered acceptable seems, you know, on the one hand, some of them make good sense, and some of them perhaps because we don't live with those same tasks in our daily life. So maybe I'm not being fair, but I think that there is a sense of like, you could have drawn that line of this is too much, you know, a step further or a step further back. And I feel like it's the same kind of discussion that, that nowadays people say about a light switch. That's not so labor intensive. What's the big deal about flipping a light switch? And, and it's the same, like there's a, a certain measure of, um, it's we're not leaving it up to the individual. It depends on tradition. It depends on the Torah more so even than logic, because the logic and this is Rav Nachman's point. Logic you can argue, and Masora you can't argue. It's just part of the way the system of keeping these halachot is built in. Right, and I think that's part of what we're seeing here that they're listing all these activities. So, like the Chazal is saying, like this is too much work, too much work. If you do it this way, too much work, and I think. Chazal had a knack for sort of determining that. Sometimes there's machloket over, but yes, it's not going to be a halacha that's learned from understanding a pasuk or, you know, is explicit, uh, you know, in, uh, in a pasuk itself. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Ravanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.